Welcome to Arcade Attack. <laughs> A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Sonic Boom! Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, viewers. It's Adrian here from Arcade Attack, and I've got another amazing guest on today's show. We've had a text interview from this uh, the gentleman before, but we've got him live in the studio today. We've got John Beltram D. Aradia, uh, the commander, I probably got your name all wrong, sorry John, but a real honour, a, a commando's legend, a real PC gaming legend on the show, so thank you John for your time. Uh, thanks to you, you pronounced it like pronounced it spotlessly, that's awesome, <laughs> and uh, thanks for the word legend, I, th- I guess that comes with age a little bit, uh, and it's an honour for me to be here, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, and I think you're our first Spanish guest actually on, on the podcast, we've had many people from around around the world but i think you're the first spanish uh, guest so yeah, that that's that's brilliant um look, i love to start john because again i don't know much about well i go to spain on holiday but when it when it comes to the video game industry i always never really connected the dots and the last thing i do is be 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 rude saying that but i'd love to know what when you were growing up what sort of game consoles and pcs and did you have access to it as a, as a child yeah. and what were your favorite yeah. games yeah, I think we always regarded the British uh, game development industry with with a lot of uh, admiration back in the day because it was more developed. But uh, in Spain, there's always been a lot of interest in games. My when I went like, I'm like uh, I was born born in 1973, right? So my my early memories of games were the Nintendo Game and Watch series, and those were amazing, right? Like you look at them now and you go like, wow, this is like. There's like fixed things that barely move at all, right? But back then it was amazing because there was nothing, right? And it was like the world was very different back back then. And I think after that, my memories go back to uh, to the Atari twenty six hundred. Mm-hmm. We did we did have one of those, and it was it was mesmerizing. It was like uh, it's like tank battles, and then like you look at the, it's blotches of of pixels that, that are barely uh, discernible these days, but. I mean, you, like, since you hadn't seen anything more developed than that, uh, it like yeah. your imagination filled all the gaps, and like, arguably, you got a more intense experience from that than from today's like super realistic games, right? Okay. And I think for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred was a, uh, I think the fondest memory or more more admiring memories of Pitfall. It was like it was like yeah. it was like. I mean, we watched Indiana Jones in the movies back then, and then it was like, "Oh, you were Indiana Jones there, right?" Yeah. It was it was so amazing, and but of course, Atari Twenty Six Hundred, you couldn't program it. It was uh, uh, before personal computers uh, actually become widespread. Uh, but uh, I think my next memories is like suddenly the start of the eight bit machines, and I got a Sinclair CDX Spectrum. Which was like, I mean, there was the there was the Spectrum, there was the Amstrad, there was the Commodore, and there was MSX, right? Those were like the big four families back then, and Spain was mostly Spectrum. Like, like Spectrum was massively big in Spain. I mean, the price was was better. Um, there were some issues with the colors and whatnot, but back then price was a big uh, big factor. The Spanish economy was not so developed, and they were like they sold like hotcakes in Spain. No, I know it's not only in Spain, but in Spain yeah. it was it was massive. And thing is, like these computers threw you into the 
Like the boot up screen is like you can type basic. So it's like we learned basic language just from the from the outset. And like it was a small it was a small market uh, back then compared to what it is today. It was not a mainstream, but a lot of people like the manual had instructions about how to program it and whatnot. So that was a start for a lot of people uh, for me included. And there were some very uh, interesting uh, magazines in Spain for like there was one called Micro Hobby. In Spain, it was like in Spanish, but it was about the CDX uh, spectrum. So uh, programming courses and game reviews. It was all a little bit mixed up back then. It was not such a developers and gamers. It was like uh, everyone was a bit thrown together into the same mess and uh, a lot of excitement. Uh, it was, it was, it, it was, I have really fond memories from that. Yeah. And, um, I, I looked on your blog, and I'll put put it in the show notes that you did. You started programming on the ZX Spectrum. You actually made games on there. I'd love to know um, what sort of games did you make? Do you remember the first game you made, and did did any of them ever get published, or is it just kind of an in house yeah. kind of thing? Yeah. No, I was reading magazines. I was learning from the few books that were available. It was difficult to like the internet didn't exist. Like, yeah. like so, it's like. The world was very different back then, right? So you would read about teams, and it would like it was it was like mythology, right? So you would like oh, so there are people writing these things, right? So uh, I learned as much as I could from the information I could get, but I was very young. Also, I was like maybe we're talking in eighty six or so, so I was thirteen, and I started learning them. But and I I, I learned. Basic first, then I learned uh, machine. We called it machine code back then, Código Máquina in Spanish, uh, which was assembly language, uh, which was the way to get some speed out of those uh, computers. But I was not mature enough. I did. I developed some some little things here and there. But basically, on eight bit machines, I I learned. I wasn't I wasn't right. mature enough to be able to produce anything uh, valuable. But then the PC came. Right then, then very soon after. Uh, 16, I mean, 16-bit machines, which were the Amiga and the, and the Atari ST, uh, came afterwards, but they were pretty expensive. And, you know, like the Spanish economy was not so developed back then. And, uh, like, personally, I never had any of those. I would have loved to, but it was not affordable. So uh, the jump was, like, kind of straight into PC for me. So I started recreating the same stuff I had learned with, uh, uh, with the 8-bit machines on, on, on the PC with uh, Intel 8088 uh, assembly language, and uh, of course, I was learning a bit more, so I, I, I was able to to do a lot more on 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 those computers, yeah. and, and it started growing bigger too, right? Like a lot more people. Love it. Um, I mean, did you always in your mind have an, the ambition to work in the video game industry, or was it just more of a hobby that kind of evolved? When did you first sort of realize that you, you're entering the industry? It's yeah. a proper job. I love to know that kind of story. Yeah, I think my my uh, I loved games. I I played games. Some games I played uh, quite a bit, but I'm not. I was ne- I was never a big games player. But it was to me they were mesmerizing because they were like it's like it's like a little world. It's alive, right? It's like there are all these characters doing things, and you can control one and you explore it. It's like Oh, one other big contact for me was uh, arcade machines. Like here, they were set up in Mars and also some arcade, uh, some arcades. But uh, I remember Ghosts and Goblins, for example. That, like Ghosts cool. and Goblins, was like and Terra Cresta, right? And those were like you didn't have that at home. And those were so amazing, right? So uh, 
I saw those and I was like, and it's like, and then you read like uh, uh, this team that has programmed this game. It's like, so there are people who program this. Like to me, it was like, so you, it's like, it was like being wizards, right? It's like, I wanted to be a wizard. I wanted to create that. And it's like, everything seemed magical. It's like, you jump and the, <laughs> like, you jump and the character goes and, and then falls on a platform. It's like, wow. It was like, it was like, I may be taking early physics in, in school as well. And I was like, wow. It was like, yeah. It was the unthinkable to me. So I wanted to be able to recreate that, right? I could see that it was a mechanism. It was a machine, but it was actually a world. So it was like reconciling that in my mind was was very difficult, but I was determined to to learn how to build that, right? And I wasn't so... Um, I don't think I don't think I had a good understanding of game design, for example. Like some people have a really a good knack for that. Uh, to me, it was the mechanism was, was magical and I couldn't see beyond. And I... I learned to program the mechanisms a little bit, of course, like like uh, yes. the graphics first. <laughs> graphics programming is very immediate, right? Because it's like you're actually drawing a world. So it was like graphics programming was very often the first thing that that, that you would put a lot of uh, focus on. Um, but I, di- I didn't have a full understanding of what a game entails, right? So it's like... Uh, so I focused in programming. I tried to do some 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 games, some starts, and I have some some funny prototype from back then. But I wasn't able to complete them because my own understanding was was limited. Right? I was uh, right. I was mature enough to learn the programming by then, like when I was seventeen or or something. But I wasn't mature enough. My my vision was not mature enough to be able to recreate a game because it was. It was bigger than I uh, than I, what I could fit in my brain, right? So, so I focused on programming a lot, and I think part of my then I I focused on programming, and I f- I focused on programming most of my career, uh, be it be it games or or something else. But uh, it was confusing back then because it's like the programmers had have, have made this game very difficult. That's how it like the programmers have made amazing graphics. The programmers, it's like. We, everything was called programmers back then. It was like that, yeah. that was the word, right? So of course the industry was nascent. It was it was something very new for everyone, right? So it's like you program games, so everyone who's making games is programming games, and it's and then you learn it's not true, right? It's like some people write the code, some people draw the graphics because it's a different skill set. It's a different mm-hmm. sensitivity. Some people design the game or conceive the game, and it's also a different skill set. Even if some people have more than one, right? Some people yeah, have yeah. two. Like having having two is is already amazing, right? And these days it's a bit more separate. But when I see someone who can program, design, and sell, it's like wow, that that's genius, <laughs> right? It's like just one of those is is so difficult, right? And I think if I had gone like if I had a better understanding back then, I would have focused on game design. But right. programming came easier to me. I was more math oriented and game design. I think I would have wanted to do that because it was more, it was closer to the actual act of creation, right? Uh, and I, I think a little bit, I had, I have a little bit of a hang up there. It's like I would have loved to do that, but I, of yeah. course, it wasn't my, I wasn't good by default on that. My talent was not on that, right? I could have worked on that. It would have been awesome, but uh, yeah. So I wanted to recreate those universes, and, and I learned all the technical skill set. And it proved very valuable in in a lot of ways. So I'm I'm happy about that. And uh, can you sort of join the dots? How you joined Pyro Studios was was did yeah, you apply yeah. for a job there, or did you work in a game company before then? Because yeah, 
Is that right to explain that, John? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that, that's perfect because uh, I mean the world has changed so much, so the same kind of story doesn't work these days. These days, you need other stories. Like it's always <laughs> yeah. always challenges, right? But it was like I was living in the Basque Country, north of Spain. And I didn't know anyone. Like I was like the, the only kid in, in in everyone around that uh, small town. Not so small, but it was a minority thing back then. Uh, I was learning programming, but I couldn't talk about it with anyone. It was like mm. like I'm, I'm just this weirdo here. I, I <laughs> tried to learn this, and uh, and uh, I then was able to contact people. But it was a lot later. When I started using Fidonet, it was before the internet. It was this kind of point-to-point network using BBSs where you would send a message and then you would connect once a day to a remote BBS who would deliver the message to whoever when they connected to the BBS. But that's how I met like the scene of of Spanish people. Like you could also connect to international groups, but like the world was bigger back then. It's like everything was very far. So so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I connected with people, a lot of people from Madrid people from other areas of Spain, from Valencia, from, from Barcelona. And, uh, but it was, it was so much fun to connect with people who were also interested in those things, right? Like you felt less lonely uh, and uh, started uh, meeting some of them slowly, like someone who lived like only 100 kilometers from where I was, but took the bus one day and met. Uh, it was like, wow, we can talk about interrupts, right? It was, I was, I was, I was, uh, flabbergasted. It was like we can talk about interrupts. It was like it's, uh, it, was, it was like that, right? And then we would take a bus to Madrid and and meet the people from all over Spain. It was a small group, but it was like the people who were most into programming. Yeah. And through that, I I uh, got in touch with the demo scene. Uh, right, right, right. We were producing demos, the early days, PC demos. There were also people doing Amiga, and I met some of them afterwards and remain friends with some of them to this day, to these days. And like through those people, I started uh, contacting the Spanish video games industry, which there had been a pretty strong games industry in Spain with the 8-bit computers. Like uh, the project, like people are very passionate, people are very creative. Uh, there was not so much as an organization. There was not much capital, but uh, there was a market. So there were uh, like several Spanish games companies who I knew through the magazines and admired. Like, uh, and uh, but the thing is, like with the change to the 16-bit machines, where uh, projects got more complicated, budgets were bigger, required more organization, and it seems we were not that good at that. Uh, the kind of the the current like it's called the golden era of the, the they still call it the golden era of the Spanish video games industry like games were produced some like selling in Spain already was already like it was already uh, at least break even or or even profitable right so there were a number of publishers a number of developers uh, the development studios and um, that kind of half died with the 16 bit uh, period. Uh, but I got to meet all like most of those people through this contact through Fidonet on my trips, uh, taking the bus to Madrid. I wrote a book to uh, on assembly la- like uh, assembly language programming for PC. Right. It was published like that. That was like ninety three or something. It was published by a Spanish, very like the, the top Spanish uh, computing uh, publisher uh, called Anaya, and that reached a lot of people. Like I, 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 I was. Uh, at university, uh, but I had like it was like the book I would have liked to have when I was learning myself. Right, uh, I had to learn from like 
piecemeal <laughs> from articles and, and, and books, like few books I could get hold of. Uh, and, and it was like, I remember trying to learn uh, two's complement arithmetic, right? Like binary two's complement, how you, uh, uh, how you, you uh, calculate with uh, negative numbers in, in binary. And I remember re- re- reading the explanation in more than one different uh, book or, or article, and I couldn't understand it. It was like, this is impossible. This makes no sense. I don't know what to make out of this. And then one day, suddenly, I don't know, out of no, nowhere practicing or something, I was like, oh, I got it. I understood it, right? And then I went back and read the articles and the books, and I go like, Dude, this 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 dude didn't understand it. Right? Like he wrote an explanation. It's like this is not so. It was it was it was tough learning, right? So um, so I wrote the book I would have liked to have, right? And I contacted mm-hmm. the publisher, uh, and uh, it was like they like I I wrote an article about object oriented programming in C, which was kind of weird thing. And I read the article now; it was a bit misguided, but it was it was okay. It was some 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 cool programming. It was let's say it was a party trick more than more than anything else. But they published it, so and it was the Spanish edition of the Microsoft Systems Journal, right? It was big in, nice. in the world, and there was a Spanish version called uh, Revista Microsoft de Programadores, so Microsoft Programmers Magazine. It was like more run of the mill uh, name in Spanish, and I I, I just called the the, the 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 like there were, there was a phone number so i wrote this thing and i didn't know what to do of it like i called them and like sent it and they published it and i was like i, I couldn't believe it like they published an article it's amazing like, wow. <laughs> and i talked to the, to the editor-in-chief or something and it's like hey i've been working on this course for assembly and maybe he's like i'll give you the contact of the publisher and try to adapt to them. So they published in a very small collection for like usually books that were like word 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 perfect 5.1, right? Like the books like they would they lasted a year only and it was the, it wasn't the highest quality but the but the book was very popular with students, university students. It was recommended because it was it was good at explaining things because I, it has been, it had been so fucking tough for sorry sorry but, <laughs> it's but, all right. It had been so difficult for me to learn that I I had the explanations yeah. that they were kind. They walked you through the difficulties, right? And that book was like they made so many reprints for years. It was like it was like wow. an outlier in the collection because like lasted ten years or, or something, which was like super weird. And uh, and that opened a few doors. It got me in touch with people and got me. A, I mean, I'd, well, I mean, I did get some money. But I was nineteen or something, so like any money was a lot of money. Like, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, but mainly got you some respect and recognition. It was, that was good. And through that and people I met, so I, I got in touch with the people who were developing games in, in Spain and trying to, like, the industry had kind of died. So people like people were trying to create projects from, like, in scrappy ways. And yeah. we started a small company, developed a prototype. And, uh, I mean, we had... We put we did put a lot of effort into programming, into learning everything, doing our own 3D routines uh, with the whole demo stuff. There was a bit of a competition who does the coolest effect, and it was also tough. And like uh, the bit, the finish always beat us to the best stuff, and uh, that, that that that's always the same, right? Uh, <laughs> but they, and then people published source code. Like we sent source code on diskettes by email, right? And you received that uh, like a floppy disk. Wow. Uh, by email, and we had like source code, source code. It was, it was, it was, it was marvelous. There was no internet, right? Like just getting the stuff was, 
I mean, I, I know for people these days, it's like it's difficult to understand. Uh, it's difficult yeah, yeah, yeah. to understand how it was actually because it's changed <laughs> so much. Not, still today, it's difficult to learn programming or do anything because there is so much that it's overwhelming. You go like, I want to learn programming. You're like, learn programming. Like a, a zillion things. You don't know which one is, is, is trustworthy or good or anything, right? So, but the challenge is still there and, and, and it's, mm-hmm. learning programming takes a lot of time. So... And that's how I contacted with the industry and started doing little projects here and there. Got in touch with the Arevalo brothers. I'm not sure if you have talked to them. Javier Arevalo and Juan Carlos Arevalo from Madrid. Uh, they they had uh, written and published uh, two or three games on, on Spectrum, on, on 8-bit machines. So right. they were a little bit older than me and much smarter. Uh, so I learned a lot from them and they were trying to do stuff on, on PC. Uh, of course, projects are bigger, they're harder. Um, and I was programming with them, and I was super happy that they welcomed me to the to the projects. And we worked on on a prototype called uh, Headhunter. It was like wow. a, a sci-fi game. I think that we like Javier published the his, his nickname is Jare Jare. Uh, um, it was very cool 3D graphics, very ambitious title. We had like indoor areas and outdoor areas. I like, wow. was a big fan of uh, Elite. You know the eight. Yeah, that's a great game. Elite. I never played it, but but uh, Jerry was a big fan, and um, uh, like I think to me the biggest eight bit game from a Spectrum was like Head Over Heels. Probably that was yep. also, also British, massive. I enjoyed that. Like they had like a map with three hundred and twenty one rooms. I was like, how do they put three hundred and twenty one? rooms in there with their puzzles and their robots and their controls and it was it was it was amazing so we were doing those kinds of projects and then uh we got in touch with the guy who was setting up commandos i was setting up uh development for pyro studios it wasn't called pyro studios back then but uh then the headhunter fell apart because we didn't get funding from uh, we were trying to get funding but we were we were very naive in anything business related, uh, right. or at least I was. That for sure. Uh, <laughs> and the other ones were not like fully business oriented. So it was like I didn't go, but some people went to ECTS, which was a, a trade show that was doing, done yearly in London uh, to try to get funding. We didn't succeed in that, so it fell apart. So we kind of gravitated towards that initiative, which had hand funding because uh, Pyro Studios was set up by the same person that headed uh, Proinsa, which was a publisher, like distributor of mm. of, uh, of several big name publishers in Spain. It's like uh, all the big name publishers back then, uh, many of them were in the UK. They were originally British, like uh, Microprose or Codemasters. Yep. Um, and they... Uh, they didn't distribute themselves in some countries because, of course, setting up a distribution requires a lot of effort and local contacts or not. So they they distributed through an external distributor. And in Spain, there was this company called Proinsa, which was a distributor for a number of publishers, like a number of publishers. And they were they were doing well. They were doing very well. They they had capital. They had access to capital as well, and so they tried to set up this initiative to try to do an ambitious uh, title. And they started hiring some of the best people they could find, and that's where 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 Commandos kind of started. Yeah. I mean, so Commandos was their first game. They've obviously published things before, but that was their first game they were working on would you yeah. say yeah they, yeah they were locally they were distributing locally uh 
big name titles. Uh, yeah. Like all, all the, like, uh, I think Sony had its own distributor. I mean, Sony hadn't entered games yet, but it was in the process of entering. But uh, Nintendo had its own distribution, but a lot of the big names they were distributing through local distributors, and this company had uh, a number of the big, bigger names. I, I think THQ was one, I think yeah, Code yeah. Masters was one, Microprose was one, and Eidos was one as well. Uh, so they, they, but internal development, they did a couple titles that didn't actually pan out very well. Uh, and they were trying to revamp it and they hired this guy who I was working with in, in the headhunter prototype. Um, and, uh, there was a team internally, uh, but the, the team went through a couple of revisions and layoffs. And then he asked Jari and me as like people who were very exper- experienced in, in, in programming to, to help out. And uh, we did join. And initially I was working from Vitoria, where I lived in the Basque Country, and working remotely. So we right, got this thought, reviewed it. And yeah, remote work in 1995 uh, or 96. That's mad, isn't it? I, that's <laughs> madness, madness, yes. Uh, <laughs> It was phone calls and, and, and mail, like like posts. It's like nothing nothing else. Uh, and I started doing some code. I wrote the initial... I had been doing some early prototypes with these brothers I was collaborating with, with Javier and Juan Carlos Arevalo. And uh, uh, I had developed this uh, prototype. I called it... The name was... I mean, my English back then was, still needed more work. Uh, but it was, like, it was called Behave, Behave. It was like... Just uh, it was like top view with sectors. Like Doom had come out. Doom was one of the like, and uh, Doom was like, like Castle Wolfenstein, Return to Castle Wolfenstein, yeah, yeah. 3D, and Doom were two of the things that you installed one day and you went like, the world has changed. It's like, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, you are younger, so you you don't maybe you don't know the, that experience that that closely, but it was it was like no, wow. I, I do remember, yeah. You yeah. do remember. Okay, so you're like not that much younger. So, <laughs> so uh, and I, I created some physics routines with like se- polygonal sectors, free form, right? Uh, uh, and I had like behavior of different units. I mean, it was just cylinders from the top. So it was circles and they were trying to go to different places and they like kind of got stuck and then like entered panic mode to find a way. And it was, it was funny to, to look mm. at. And, uh, it turns out that the, I still wasn't working with the Commandos team. They had decided that in the graphics aspect, they wanted to break the the the, the break the the constraints of isometric view, right? The isometric view. Uh, I mean, it was an isometric view, but things did yeah. not have to be parallel to one another. So graphically, they had kind of decided that they, they, there was a gap, there was a huge potential in having graphics which were isometric, so that you have the whole map and you have all the strategy, but things are not aligned to an X and Y uh, axis. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Which makes everything, which was like all the like uh, theme park or, or or railroad tycoon or or uh, uh, what's this uh, Molinus God game? Uh, Populous and Populous and stuff, yeah. right? So we're doing those kinds of things. It was super cool. The potential in gameplay was amazing. And people were connecting to that a lot. Mm-hmm. But the graphics having everything so so uh, orthogonal, so regular, yeah. uh, 
aesthetically there was there was some some potential to to be had by breaking that so i think that was one of the seed strong concepts uh, on which uh, Com- uh, commandos was built i mean that was there before i before i joined and uh, of course there was uh, some very good uh, 3d artists that could like mm. uh, do really really good like half re- like realistic cartoon or something like that uh, right and and so the graphics were amazing and but there was like it was still not solved how the units were going to move around and it turned yeah, out yeah. i free form sectors adapted very well to to that so they they bought that code from me it was like starting nice. collecting, so they, they bought they paid me more than i had ever earned and uh, <laughs> uh and then i was collaborating with them and and uh, at some point like so they integrated it and it was it was really cool and you had to map all the sectors like it was excruciating work to make that work it was like yeah. it was nothing automated and uh, at some point the prototype was kind of half working uh, and they were going to because of course the Proinsat distributors they knew a lot about business, so it was like I'm gonna go pitch this to some of the publishers we work with regularly to try to get the rest of the funding, right? So there was some funding initially from this uh, business-oriented family with uh, some access to capital. But it was like they knew the business, so it's like yeah, yeah. we're gonna pitch the prototypes, try to get funding for them, and not only funding in exchange of a publishing agreement. Uh, I mean, you needed a big publisher to to like to reach reach all the shelves in the world. Like it was it was about shelves back then, right? Uh, of course, yeah. Uh, so there were three prototypes for three different games, and Commandos was one of them. Um, the other one was uh, Pirates. It was a Pirates game, and the other one was very early tech prototype for uh, something called uh, Cimeria, like. Uh, like the Conan universe, style of Conan universe. Oh, right? yeah, like a barbarian kind of. Barbarian uh, style of universe, but it, there wow. was only a very early tech prototype. That was 3D. That was actual 3D. Wow. Uh, in, in rendering as well. And the Pirates game was... Uh, the Commandos showed more promise. So they, they went and showed it to a number of publishers. Um, I mean, we spent one month working to finish that demo. I remember sleeping in, in a... It's like sleeping <laughs> like in the office when i moved for temporarily for one month to 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 madrid to finish that and i was hooked after that month we 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 barely exited the office i think at all it was like like 12 hours a day 14 hours a day whatever it takes uh to get the prototype ready and to me it was like i mean i was i was 20 22 23 it was like i was I was playing the game with people really developing games. And it was like, I, I didn't understand anything except the code. I understood the code. <laughs> it's like, uh, and it was, it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful to see everything come together. It was super painful to work on that. Uh, but I was hooked after that. So I, I was, I was studying, but I, I, I dropped out after that to move to Madrid and with the idea of maybe taking some exams. And I never finished mm. my, my major. I wanted to do things, moved to Madrid, and and the next year and a half, two years, it was like to fit like because they like one of the publishers ended up actually going like, wow, that looks interesting. Uh, it's like yeah, yeah. Uh, there were a number of publishers who wanted to kill themselves after after the game was published because they said no, but uh, when they showed the prototypes at uh, Eidos, uh, Ian Livingstone was there, um, yeah. a legend. Huge. Yeah, legend, yeah. Uh, and he had a 
quick look at the prototypes. I think it was other people. I was in that meeting, but it was other people who were in the acquisitions department or something. And they were looking at it, but then like Ian Livingstone dropped by quickly and saw the game and said, like, uh, sign that game. Wow. Uh, it was commandos. It was, it was half a lucky strike, half a lot of work, and of course, uh, people who could who could see the potential, right? Uh, I mean, the night before, the game crashed all the time, and everything <laughs> you would do, like, it was like, it was something like if you you could uh, you could catch the boat with all the, like, the, 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 the sailor or the, how did we call him? The diver. The diver yeah, yeah. could pick up the boat and put it in his backpack with all the other commandos in the <laughs> in the boat. Right? <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And that was the simplest one, right? And then it's like he would produce infinite numbers of boats and, and commands. It's like, of course, there were a lot of bugs and there was a lot of... But it was like the demo was scripted like, and it was run by, uh, by Gonzo, the project lead and the... Uh, uh, lead designer and he's like he would do only the things that worked and it was beautiful with the, the the lorry going in and out of the camp and you could cross the river like so all the core elements were there right and it was very it was a very unusual game compared to anything out there yeah it's quite you know, it was so it was like on one hand it was this 3D perspective, it was pre-rendered graphics, and then they were tied because memory constraints were, were massive, so you couldn't have, like, oh, render it all and have a bitmap. That didn't fit anywhere. It's like, <laughs> no, you cannot do that, right? It was like, tile it so that you have, the, and the graphics, the artists were amazing. They could make it look like it was not tiled, right? It was, like, really uh, very pixel-level amounts of detail. The, the character animations were, the characters were mod- modeled in 3D and animated in 3D and then rendered to these, like, tiny pixel dimensions. And then the masks were drawn by hand and the masks to everything was drawn by hand and all, like, the buildings were rendered each one separately because 3D Studio Max would crash if you put more than one building in a single scene, wow. right? And then the masks done by hand, which was, that was nuts. Uh, It was like, you would never want to do that. It's like, uh, (laughs) and then everything put together by like super tasteful artists. And and, uh, it would look like, like the the, the story went on. It's like, it has to look like the lead model uh, figures, right? Like it's like a lead model uh, come come alive, right? And that was one of them. And the 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 design of the game with the very specific characters, um, with very specific functions, a bit puzzle like, uh, with some action. But it was it was it was uh, absolutely unforgiving, absolutely unforgiving, right? And it's like I've understood a bit more of that in uh, later on. I was not involved with the design, uh, but I know some references. Um, yeah. For example, was uh, was the name um, Lost Vikings was a reference, right? Like Lost Vikings was a bit of a reference because it really? was like, yeah, it was a bit of a reference. I mean, mentioned by the the, the creator or lead designer. Um, the puzzle, was, the puzzle elements, wasn't it? Yeah, three like different characters with different functions, and so there's uh, there there is a lot of interesting gameplay there. Of course, wow. Taken to World War Two, which was like, I think originally was the the direction set by Ignacio, who was the business like the business guy who who headed it. But it was very into movies, very into World War Two. So there was a combination of a number of uh, talents there, right? Uh, it was like, and the thing is like, 
I would learn how how actually that was a lot years after a lot of years after this. There, there was basically no Spanish games industry back then, so it it turned out that a lot of the best talent in Spain ended up in the same in the same group, <laughs> right? And many years after, but, but for me, it was like my first job. I mean, I had done things. I had written a book. I had done projects by myself or not, but like like first real job in a in a team. It was like, oh, it's like you get in a team and everyone is so awesome and so talented. And it's like, and then I would learn like, no, that was, that was just, you were super lucky in a given moment. <laughs> that rarely happens, right? So it's like, and yeah, it never yeah. happens again, right? Or, or very... In a very difficult way. So, uh, so it was the gameplay angle, the game design angle, the graphics angle, the programming angle. Also, we were able to to build something so very complicated uh, with a with a ton of massive amount of hours and and, and work. Right? But uh, and a business, the business side as well was there. So, so, so that was that was an interesting, a very interesting uh, experience. John, that what a stunning story. I mean, I was going to ask actually what. Um, titles or media helped inspire commandos and I, I i'll be honest lost vikings I, I wouldn't have thought that but when you think about it there is some connection there i mean it was, it, it, you could i'm guilty of thinking when you just see it it looks like a re- refined remastered cannon fodder i don't know if you've heard of cannon fodder but it's yes, it's yes. That, it's that, that was already a title that i heard back then yes i, yeah, I yeah. never got to play it but but yes that was also in the books a little bit right uh, also, cannon fodder had the, the attractive of that, like cannon fodder, right? It's like no soldier is too important, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Commandos was the opposite. It's like every soldier is important. You have five or three, yeah. right, or, or four. Yes, but yes, that, that was that was that was there. Yes, stunning. Um, I mean, you you went for it a bit there. Uh, you, we are massive fans of commandos, and it it just seemed different and original at the time, and. Um, it kind I know there were kind of real-time tactic games a little bit, but this is kind of sort of defined a genre in a way. Um, d- did you know that you're working on something pretty special back then? Or was it just, it was, you kind of said it is, all, all these yeah. amazing people. Yeah. Was When did you realize that this was actually going to, well, yeah. let's be honest, change maybe Spanish video game industry a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it did. It, 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 it's a landmark. It's still a landmark. Still, when I when meet people, from the industry or adjacent industries, I often give the reference because the people of the uh, of the right age, because to uh, like people who are younger, not so much, but they recognize it. And it's like uh, back then, just completing a game was was such yeah. a feat. You know, it's like um, actually you are not guaranteed shelf space, but it's not like like today there. There's a lot of information. There's the, like the, you have engines, you have tools. Like back then, we had to do everything from scratch, so it was very hard just to be able to complete one. Right? I hadn't been able to complete one game before that by, by right, myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and like to me, it was very special because it was my first job in the games industry. I moved to Madrid. I like I I uh, I moved out of my parents' uh, place, so it was very special to me. It was the first time I was programming with a a big team. It was up to 18 people in total. Like uh, programmers, I think it was like mm-hmm. eight or something, uh, about eight. Uh, um, but of course, I didn't know how special the game was. Did the team know? Did we know? I think it was it was a first experience for a lot of us. Uh, not a first experience for everyone, uh, but for those who were not, for whom it was not the first experience as in the first game or anything, it was the first experience of such dimension or, or such such uh, scope, yeah. right? So 
uh, we put in a massive amount of work. Everyone was committed. It was very painful. There was a lot of conflict, but it was uh, it was all redirected into the the productive direction. Uh, there was the idea that it was a good, a very good game. Yep. The amount of success that came when it was released came as a bit of a surprise to to mostly everyone. I'm, I'm sure that the the head guys in Commandos, uh, both the game uh, creation side and the business side, had big hopes. Uh, because of course, if you don't have big hopes, why why would you put in all the effort? Oh, yeah. It came as a bit. It was a bit of a sleeper hit as well. Like I, I don't think Eidos didn't expect such a massive uh, success. That's for sure. They invested some money in it. I don't think it was big money for for what they were investing in titles back then. But then it was released, and like in the UK, it was like uh, fourteen or sixteen weeks number one in sales. That's so we mad. got we got <laughs> we got sales reports every week, and it was like it's number one. Like the first week was like. Hey, it's number three. It's like, wow, this is this is something, right? Yeah, it must be something. I don't know. I, I don't have the background to understand it, but it seems like something. Like so it's number two now. Wow. So it's, it's selling even bigger. And then it's like number one. And it's like it's still number one, still number one, still number one. Oh, it's been being released in Germany. It's killing it in Germany as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Which is like, a little bit controversial. Yeah. Yes. Several times as much selling several times as much as in the UK. It was like but the, but, the, but the enemies are, are, are like, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, they still love it. Right? So it's like, they love it. And we had massive fans uh, from Germany. Uh, and uh, it was a big hit in Spain, but uh, it's like, uh, there was, there was, there were different levels of piracy in different countries. And back then in Spain, there was quite a bit of piracy. I think these right, days, okay. everything is a lot more legit. Uh, but back then there was a lot more piracy. It was like, it sold like forty thousand copies in Spain. It's like probably four hundred people or four hundred thousand people are, are are playing it, which is which is true because everyone knew it, mm. and then people learned that it was Spanish. So it's of course like it's like some pride. Yeah, right? yeah. People are buying it, so I think it came as a bit of a surprise to everyone. Um, then the 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 scope of the like the, the the dimension of the success because it was it was very very big success it it uh, helped Eidos a lot Eidos was a publicly traded company back then um, they had some massive hits as well at the, kind of at the same time like uh, Tomb Raider yeah yeah similar period but uh, so then they wanted the second one and they they invest they invested really big for commandos too they, they it was a lot more money it was a much bigger team they spent a ton of money in marketing and advertising we toured the world like they 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 took us to i went to the u.s so many times nice germany to the uk uh, but then to hong kong and to 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 to, to south korea and japan and, and and taiwan and you got there and it's like uh i mean it was like the project lead who was the main guy and I was the lead developer, but I spoke English and the project lead didn't. So, and I, and I could be kind of entertaining when talking. So it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was doing demos and, and I was like, so it was like, you got to Taiwan. I was like, this, it's like the world was bigger back then. It's like, where am I? It's like, this is so <laughs> and then you go into a room and then suddenly have 30 journalists making questions. It was like, this is unbelievable. Like we, we, we barely could, could believe it. It was, it was, it was good fun in, in, in many ways. But, uh, yeah, it was a very different story. 
since making those small spectrum games until it it must have been incredible you must felt like a bit of a rock star john absolutely crazy a a little bit then i would have to learn that life is not like that all the time but (laughs) fair enough um do you have a favorite commando it doesn't have to necessarily be from the first game you can include the sequels is there a favorite particular character because of their skill set or personality or any reason really I think I liked Whiskey, the the, the dog in Commander's yeah. School. It was so funny because he never talked, and but he did interesting things, and the animations were so. I mean, it's like um, mo- mostly that. Yeah, I, I I don't think I ever played Commandos like a like a player plays because oh. it's like you spend so much time just uh, uh, despairing over every little bug and problem, and you see, like you know, like once you go into the sausage factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not a given you will want to have sausage ever again, right? So, you know, yeah. it's like games depend a lot on su- suspension of disbelief. And after you've been uh, agonizing over every single detail and being being seen it with all like half-made stuff, it's very difficult to 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 fall into the spell of the game. For at least for me. Yeah. So, of course, I played a lot uh, for testing and and uh, but as a, and I tried to play as a player, but then it was like I was never. So, so yeah, my connection with the game is from like from another point of view, right? From that, sure. than what what players can have, right? Um, we got to about Commandos too. Now you mentioned earlier it was bigger, bolder, lots more funding. Um, but what was was there a lot of pressure? It must have felt a bit of pressure to sort of you know come up with an even better game and 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 can you can you remember sort of the the early sort of talks and discussions about how we're going to do that and how easy was it to move on to the sequel? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Am I talking too much? Are we in a time? I love it. I'm, I'm absolutely loving this. I so keep it. Keep I'm it going. enjoying it. Great questions. I'm enjoying your your uh, company. So uh, you. then you can, you can cut off stuff later, maybe if it's. Uh, <laughs> no, no, this no, is good. perfect. Uh, Commandos one was a lot of pressure, like like a, like a ton of pressure, uh, but it was pressure of a different type than Commandos two because we were kind of isolated, developing. The, the publisher was not, I mean, paying a ton of attention. They would send a producer once in a while. They would send suggestions. We would ignore them <laughs> unless we couldn't. Uh, uh, you know, but it was it was different. It was it was development pressure. At Commandos 2, there was a ton of attention and expectation and high right. hope and whatnot, right? Budget was much larger. Team went, through, like, we were over 40 people in the team. Like, it's, um, the dimension of team were, like, moved offices and uh and of course there had been a success so people's egos were a lot more aroused probably mine as well right uh so the conflict was a bit uh more difficult um and uh with the publisher it's like we were on a high time pressure because ados like what added a lot to this was that ados was a publicly traded company and during the development of Commandos 2, uh, where the ambition had grown enormous, we didn't use a single line of code of Commandos 1. We threw it all wow. down the road and wrote a completely new engine, project, <laughs> which was necessary because, uh, because it was a much more ambitious project and we wanted to break all the molds in the original as well. And I think that was a good decision because otherwise it would have been like kind of a an improvement or something, right? Uh, but of course, that set us up for a much more uh, challenging development, right? Uh, Commandos One, as a, like focusing on code, which was my 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 main focus, 
It was 250,000 lines of C++ code, plus quite a lot of assembly language as well, as well, right? Because all the, all the rendering routines were in assembly because there were no 3D cards and you had to draw every pixel uh, one by one. And the only way, way to do that efficiently was assembly language. Commandos 2, in the end, it was 1 million lines of C++ code. So, so just the size of the code was four times as much. I'm not even talking about the size of the assets, of the amount of... Wow. Modeling, texturing, uh, rendering, animations, scripting, uh, whatnot, right? And uh, Ados had invested, was investing heavy in in, in this. Um, I I don't remember the figures, but I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, pull out of thin air with half a half a, an idea, like like one point five million uh, <laughs> or something, which was a lot of money back then. These days. Yeah, Barely nothing at all, right? Yeah, but yeah. pocket change, but yeah. <laughs> a lot bigger budget. Uh, and what happened, which was, uh, apart from the expectations, like, oh, now you have to go to present at E3 in Los Angeles. And it's like, so it was a lot more requirements. So of marketing aid does want to a lot of material and movies and animations and this and that. So that take, took a lot of effort. Uh, uh, what happened is was that the Tomb Raider franchise started underperforming at some point, I don't remember the details, but what point was that? But uh, suddenly, wasn't selling as well. It had been a massive phenomenon socially, not not only in video games. Lara Croft was yeah, yeah, yeah. in all mainstream magazines in the world. Uh, first female character, strong uh, personality character, whatnot. Uh, went like so, went so out of the video games themselves that the. Of course, the sales was, were massive, but it's very difficult to sustain that. And you don't sustain mainstream attention very easily for a long time. So, of course, the next sequels were not selling as much. But, of course, they were publicly traded. They had to give quarterly results. That's when I learned what publicly traded means and what yeah, quarterly yeah. means. And, of course, uh, the, when the, the share price goes down because you have announced a bad quarter, they go like, we need to get the share price up because my personal wealth is not like, of course, the executives were were uh, part owners of the company. Uh, and it's like, okay, so Lara Croft is not performing. What's next? Commandos 2. Commandos 2 has to like crazy. And it's like, it has to be amazing. It has to be ready by next quarter. It's like, next quarter is impossible. This is impossible. <laughs> it's like, the quarter after this, I was like, and they would require like, and uh, absolutely impossible uh, deadlines and uh, we would say no and they wouldn't accept no so we would wow. lie and say yes and then and then we didn't fulfill them right uh, because it was impossible right the amount of pressure was like they had a producer a uh, really nice guy Mike Suto I think we made life hell for, for, for him <laughs> uh, in Madrid he was, he was basically located in Madrid and he I think they were start of mobile phones back then, but like uh, calling international, it was. I think he ran up a, uh, I don't know, like several hundred thousand, <laughs> equivalent of several hundred thousand euro mobile phone bill or something. That's like so that. funny. No, no, not that much. Like, no, like a 10,000, 10,000, equivalent of 10,000 euro uh, mobile phone yeah. bill because he was in Madrid trying to get us to do whatever was needed by the time it was needed, having to call back home all the time. Like these people are, and like, you can't deal with them. They're, they're, they're impossible. This is impossible. Right. So <clears throat> I remember receiving visits from high, like, like top executives, like either Jeremy Heath Smith, who was one of the founders of core design, 
who were like yeah. the creators of, of, of uh, Tomb Raider and Lara Croft. They had been acquired by Eidos, but it was like, of course, acquired in, 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 in both cash and, and, and stock. So they were top executives with a lot going on on the performance of, of Eidos. Uh, coming to Madrid to 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 get us to to deliver whatever was ready. It's like we need to deliver whatever was mm-hmm. was ready. It's like, there are only four missions actually working. It's like and it was like put those four missions in the box and deliver it now. And it was like that's that's death. That, <laughs> Can you imagine? It was so high, and it was like. And I was involved in all of this because the project lead didn't speak English, so I was translating right. Uh. So. Uh, it was, I was learning a lot on the, on the process and it, it was like, uh, so it was a huge amount of tension, conflict, and massive, <laughs> massive, massive bad feelings in all directions. Meanwhile, we had to actually write the game and make it work. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and it took like, I think the delay compared to what they wanted was like over a year, a year and a half. And it was like, and the game, like so many things have changed from the initial, uh, foundations of the game design and of everything, right? The code, the art, the game design, that there were a lot of challenges that were not solved. It's like, how do you make At some point in the game, it's like uh, the levels were ready, but the gameplay was not completely clear. <laughs> so it was like, it was very, very painful and, and, and challenging. And uh, mm. say I'm so surprised we ended up delivering something which was uh, pretty cool and, and people... But like market liked it. They were going to. It was like also like also an influence of stock market. It's like uh, they needed to release uh, their financials every quarter, right, to the stock market. And it's very important to say how much like the revenue. Like uh, how do you say it in in, the, in Great Britain? It's not revenue. It's like uh, yeah, yeah, it, that's right. Yeah, so th- that's another word. I don't know. I can't remember now. But market like, capitalization. You know, turnover, turnover. Like British say turnover. Turnover. Yeah. Like, turnover and it's like, when do you compute? When do you account for the turnover? I learned that day that the the turnover is uh, in ac- accounting wise is registered the day that the the, the truck the lorry leaves leaves the the warehouse with the, uh. with the not the day the end player uh, buys it. It's 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 when the when you deliver when the lorry leaves the warehouse that day you account the turnover. So it's like. We are going to produce one million copies of this. It was delivered on CD. One million copies of this CD. It was like one million copies of this day one. It was like, there will probably be bugs in the game. It was like, are you sure you will do one million copies day one? It was like, yes. And it has to be before the end of the quarter because that way we register a turnover as one million sales, one million copies of sales. Wow, wow. Well, like, I don't know, 50 quid today, right? It was like 60, 60 euro or 50 quid. or It was like 50 quid times a million. It's 50 million quid in turnover, right? That day, accounted, registered, and like, so the share price will go up. And then they have three more months to figure out what to do to fix the turnover for the next quarter. <laughs> and that's their problem, right? They're investing in many games. So there was a massive amount of pressure. And I remember, I remember the day we... Because these day, those days, crunch mode was at default. I think the games industry has worked a lot in having a half reasonable balance, uh, especially if it's big uh, multinationals and, and yeah, employees yeah. don't have an, uh, an upside on the success of the game. 
But back then it was like, no, it was hell. It was always hell. So it was like, oh, last day of delivery is like, we're going to spend three days working in a row. It's like whoever falls asleep, they fall asleep until whenever they can wake up. And I remember seeing people like falling and people are like, I have to go home because I have migraines. And it's like, I need to go. And I remember it was uh, September 7, 2000. I will always remember that for some reason. September 7, 2001, we compiled the, the, the executable that was going to the to the to yeah. factory to 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 burn all those CDs, right? There was like so it was four days, four, four days before nine eleven in the in the oh industry. wow yes of course September seven and we compiled it and it was like uh who like the person who had become the was a lead consoles programmer he was doing uh I think he was doing AI and whatnot Raul Herrero who is the I have a startup now. He's my co-founder, a good friend. Uh, he compiled it, and I was, and I had these pressures like you have to deliver this. And it's like and at some point it was like compiled it, and I was like, I'm gonna. Uh, we did have email, but email by by then we couldn't send 600 megabytes over the internet. <laughs> it, took, it took like over one day or two of uploading. So we we actually mailed that CD, but the executable was like a few megabytes. We would send it by email. I was like, and then Raul comes and tells me like, "Hey, there's a massive bug in the multiplayer code." Oh, and, nice. and I was like, and he was working on that, and I was like, "Stop working! I've sent this. This is this is over." I mean, yeah, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't the key decision maker, but it was like, "We have to send this." It's like, okay, it's done. It has bug. We will do something. We will release a patch or something. But these people are crazy. They want to send it this way. There's no time. It's done. It's sent. It's this way. A million copies of a buggy executable. Oh, I think I can tell this story these these days because people are long long moved on to other things. But those days were like you cannot tell this. You cannot tell anyone this, right? And, <laughs> and you know, I then the patches are released and whatnot. But that was that was the background. Yeah, yeah, it was. That was the uh, the, the, how do you call it? The, uh, the, the bag of the scene, right? So, the behind the scenes of them. Oh, really? That's so amazing. Um, you, how long do you reckon you needed to finish off Commandos 2? Another month, would you say, or would you like? Commandos 1 was released in 98, in July yeah. 98. Uh, uh, then Ados requested that we develop a mission pack. Uh, yep. I don't think, yeah, that uh, the team lead didn't didn't want the idea, but the business guys wanted, and of course, business wise was probably a great idea. But it was a bit like because we didn't want to do like just extensions, so we developed like ten or twelve more missions that it was excruciating again. And during the development of this, I think it was released in ninety nine. During the development of this, we did start with Commandos two with some technical prototypes and whatnot. So I think kind of started in ninety ninety nine. Uh, development right. and it was 99 2000 and 2001 because it was september 2001 we released so so i think it was two years and a half right okay starting with a few people doing some experiments and definition and whatnot so commanders 2 was started to like a development started at the same time that the mission pack was developed uh so two years and a half. Uh, like if I hadn't made this calculation, I would have said three years. And if I go by the raw feeling, it must have been like ten years. So yes, was, yeah, was, raw feeling. Yeah, it was, it was, it was long and painful. Yeah. Did um, September the eleventh affect sales at all? Did that because that was, you know, uh, of 
course, at the first moment, we didn't even know what to think. Like nobody knew. Yeah. What to think. Like, we're, I think we were there. We were working in the office, and we were like, we saw the twin towers fall on TV, and yeah. like I think we were like in denial. It's like, is, is this even real? It was yes. Like, so Madness. we didn't know what to think, and of course, economically, times difficult times would come from that. Uh, games have shown time and again that they are very resistant to. Uh, very big factors economically. I think Commandos 2 was the uh, that year it was the top selling PC game in Europe and number That's three mad. worldwide. That's... We came about at the same time as StarCraft. You know, it's like StarCraft. Yeah. StarCraft is like StarCraft is an, is an enlightened, enlightened creation, right? And we were there, kind of competing there, right? Like, we, we didn't win, but we were competing there. Or StarCraft, or was Diablo 2 came out. It's, yeah, it was big it games. Was massive, massive, legendary creations. Uh, so it was very successful. And um, we toured the world. And I think, no, the, tour, the main tour was before the release. Because, of course, back then, publishers wanted to con- convince distributors distributors to pre-order uh, a lot of copies because, again, the same reasons, of course, they're protecting sales, which is the most important from their point of view, and it makes sense. You have to do that. Uh, after that, we started working in the consoles version, but uh, awesome. the internal uh, situation at Pyro was not great. There was a lot of conflict because between the owners and, and the CEO and business guy and the team project lead, uh, and uh, some of the people in the team, and uh, it was it was all quite complicated. And our intention was to leave uh, the studio and start a new studio. So that was already something we had told. The um, I was joining the team lead in this new company as a co-founder, uh, and we would bring a lot of people from the team to do that, which was of course a massive blow to to Pyro Studios. But of course, some very talented people stayed. Uh, and we were we were there until we finished consoles, which was two thousand like two thousand two. Yeah. But of course, the, the 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 whole environment was not very uh, constructive. Yeah. Yeah. And we we were putting Commandos two into Xbox and PlayStation two, which was total mayhem and destruction because uh, the game was developed for PC. We were using massive. We had yeah. to put a ton of work. In uh, one, of course, redoing the user interface to something that could be playable with a gamepad. We opted for a third person but subjective view, right? So you would actually take control of, uh, of, of each commando in turn. I mean, you could take control of more than one, but mainly you were taking control of one and would move directionally, which was, I think, I loved that. It was a very different feeling. Same, same graphics, same. Uh, Kind yeah, of, yeah. you felt so much more immersive, um, and uh, so the UI took a lot, a lot of work, and um, and then there was the problem of putting 128 megabytes of working set that the game used into PlayStation Two had 32 megabytes of Eesh, yeah. of, uh, of memory. And just the executable would take like five or six of that because there was so much code for all the all the behavior, and it was like we spent one year just compressing everything into a matchbox sized. Uh, mm-hmm. We did prototypes like 
technical prototypes for Game yeah. Boy and for PlayStation One, but that was impossible. It was like it was an no episode. way a Game Boy version. No way. We did. We had a Dreamcast prototype that we showed off in the nice. tour in Asia, um, and uh, it was pretty cool. But that was even less memory. It was sixteen megabytes. Uh, Xbox was awesome. Had a lot more memory. I think it was sixty-four megabytes. So, like Xbox was almost nearly done. Like there was one guy taking care of it. He was like, yeah, like fixing, making little adjustments to make it like uh, look great. While the PlayStation Two team was like busy. Like we were, I I don't know. We all worked on that. I compressed. I I, I developed an animation compression system based on Quaternius quantized to single bit or two bit uh, angles. And it was like, yeah. it was like developing the craziest encodings to compress uh, stuff <laughs> that just didn't fit otherwise, right? Uh, and then, of course, the PlayStation 2 didn't have a hard drive, so <sighs> had to load from, from DVD, which was, I mean, load speed when you were li- reading linearly was, let's say... <laughs> Half acceptable, but when you had to seek to any part of the of the disc, it would take ages, right? And the PlayStation Two would do a yank, would do a small sound like yank. It's like every slide, <laughs> and you know, like you are in for a treat. You're like yank. It's like okay, yeah. now I have to wait, right? So I remember we had the maps and scrolling. Uh, so the maps were stored like the maps were like in Commandos Two. It was the entire map was rendered mm-hmm. in one scene, which aided in having even richer environments. Um, but then we had to store like, because if the map was stored like this in rows, right. When you were scrolling up or down, it was, he need to read one row, right. You're every, every pixels read one row. So you would hear here, but then (laughs) all the blocks in that row, they would be loaded at once. Right. Because they were like following like, so you could scroll up and down quite smoothly and the scroll speed was set up so that you wouldn't catch the DVD right, uh, drive reading, right? So yeah. that was pretty cool. But then when you scroll to the right, suddenly you need to read one block from each row. So it was like, nick, 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 and <laughs> you would cut it all the time. So what we did with, yeah, but the DVD was massive. It's like this thing, uh, like you, you can put 4.7 gigabytes in this, like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we stored the maps twice. One's ordered by rows and the other one ordered by by columns. So depending Incredible. on what you're scrolling, and if you were scrolling in diagonally, would read one column from one file and then one row from another file. And then we uh, we added like kind of fog of war, but it was like kind of a cool way to, yeah, yeah, to hide yeah. that sometimes the DVD drive would not would not catch it right. So it wasn't real fog of war, but it was, it was cool. People loved it. So and the game, I think. Would could have used even more time so that when when you entered a new indoor scenario would would load faster or would preload scenarios when it saw that you were going in the general direction or something, uh, but it was it was a, technically it was a massive feat, uh, UI wise and it affected the game design. Uh, it was I mean we had, we had this um, called it. I'm sorry I'm going to technical anecdotes because it was probably what I was really taking up my. Yeah, yeah. my my being not not sleeping at night. It was like called its level was like had like two hundred rooms, like two hundred indoor scenarios, and there were like hundreds of of enemy soldiers, right? And it's like 
it just didn't fit. It couldn't run everything at the same time. So mm -hmm. it's like, what if we don't, if we only load this and, and you have these windows and everything and uh, maybe like five commandos, like what if we only have in memory the rooms where there is a command? It's like pretty cool. We save a lot of space, a lot of memory that way. And it's like the other are loaded when you go in, right? And the patrols of the enemies, they are kind of reset. Like, But there are enemies who have patrols that go through multiple rooms and that's important to the gameplay. It's like, so, okay, so we will only load the rooms where there is any commando or war or the rooms where there is any card who runs a patrol that goes through any room where there is any commando. It's like, it's more than five. It's like maybe 10 or, or 15 rooms that that fits. It's like pretty awesome. It's like, then you put in a time bomb in a place and you run away and then the room doesn't run. It's like, okay, so we need to run all the rooms where there is a commando where there is a guard that runs a patrol that runs through a room <laughs> where there is a commando or any room where there is a time bomb or any room where there is a guard that runs a patrol that runs through any room where there is a, a time bomb. <laughs> like, and like, so we did have to apply all the tricks. And then we got to the Paris, the, the, there is the end final Paris mission, which is like there are not many indoors uh, um, scenarios there, but the outdoors is massive. It's like it's huge. It's it like it's like oh, you cannot have everything in that scenario loaded. So it's like okay, so they loaded in chunks. It's like so we had to do all the tricks to put the commandos. <laughs> I feel super super happy and super proud about that. I mean, it was mainly Raúl and Vicente that did a lot of the work there, and also Unai and and myself part of it. And in the UI part, it was Elisa who was the lead UI programmer who did that magnificent work in, in adapting the interface to a console console game. She was a big fan of Final Fantasy games, so mm -hmm. I think some of the UI inspiration, of course, are very different genera, so not a, a lot of it applies, but uh, I think uh, uh, it was massively brilliant in a few ways and would have needed another year of compressing and optimizing for the player experience to be entirely smooth. We didn't have the time. The situation was, was complicated. The game was was uh, good enough, working well enough. It was uh, released, and yeah. we left. We started uh, another another studio. That's not another story, but yeah, incredible. Um, I mean, did you ever start work on Commandos Three? Or was that Commandos Two was full stop for you, John? Is that right? No, yeah, it was Commandos Two. After Commandos Two PC was done, we were like, it was very clear that we were. Finishing the port to consoles and moving on to to set up our own our own our own studio, um, and uh, some of the people who stayed because we invited a lot of people in the team to join us, but some of them didn't want to. I think like ten or twelve people did come to the new studio, um, but uh, which was a huge responsibility. And uh, but uh, other people stayed, and then a team was started from those people who stayed, many very experienced. I don't think they had all the... Um, I mean, it's very difficult to do a, a great project in, in a challenging market when the budgets get big and, and the players expect more and more every day and you have to deliver amazing gameplay and amazing graphics and amazing uh, technical uh, solutions and amazing distribution and amazing business uh, acumen and whatnot. Like we started the studio and we also didn't have everything that was necessary. We didn't have the business part and maybe others uh, neither. So we worked on that for a few years. It didn't pan out. Although there were great creative, mm. there was great creative value there. But we, 
started not having all the talent necessary and like you you learned that the hard way right you need to cover all the all the bases so commando 3 we didn't do anything in that i know they started from the same code base although they revamped a lot of a lot of things from there i haven't played it i've seen a few videos and a few things some of the things they did were like technically and graphically super cool uh i think the reception was not amazing but of course mm. the 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 expectations were super high and like it's very difficult for anyone to live to such a tall order. Kind of linked to that. Obviously, there were very similar games that were released around Commanders One and Two. I'm talking Desperados. There was a Robin Hood game. I think there's loads of t- loads yeah. came out in quite a few short years. Yeah. Did you find that as a bit of a tribute, or did you find that a little bit bit annoying? Did you play those games, or were I think, you? I think they were taking us taken as a tribute by everyone. It was like, hey, look. It's like wow, this is even spawning different new creations based yeah. on some of the same principles, and of course, bringing a lot of innovation. I think everyone that I uh, ever like, with whom I ever talked to, the team was like, "Hey, look at this! Look, they've done a commandos in, I don't know, in 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 the far in the wild west, right? It's like so Pretty cool, cool. so yeah. cool." And also had amazing graphics, and it's like when well, you see the side cones of the enemies, and it was a dead giveaway, right? It's like kind of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And gameplay taken as a tribute, yes, yes. I think oh, stealth games, Commandos came out of, at the time, were also uh, stealth. There were a number of stealth games, so it was part of a family. Probably, and like when the mar- like when the gap is there for something, a number of teams and people discover it at the same time. That happens very often, and stealth was something that was kind of becoming a wave there. And of course, Commandos had the stealth part, and also the multiple character part, and the tactics part, and, and the graphics and. So, yeah, it spawned a few uh, inspired games. Yeah, I think it was always taken as a, as a good thing. I'll, I'll ask you about your studio in a minute that you set up after uh, Pyro, but I, I want to quickly talk about Commando Strike Force. It, I haven't played it. I'll put my hands yeah. up. But it, it, for me, it didn't really seem to fit the mold. It was an FPS game. It kind of sadly seemed, in my opinion, the, the end of the Commando's kind of series. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. tried something a bit crazy, a bit dra- <laughs> bit different um do you personally think that was a mistake have you played it at all have you got any views on that particular I, time? Played it. I watched the uh, i watched some video to have an idea what they were doing uh i think pyro studios was in a bit of a difficult internal situation then already uh, it's it's difficult to to organize a studio with massive high expectations and sometimes you aim super ambitious and you miss and the next project, maybe you go like, let's try to be a lot less ambitious and, and make sure we don't miss because of the excessive uh, ambition. Maybe that was part of it. I'm, I'm not in. Con- I mean, I'm not uh, uh, party to any of the internal conversations at all. And I have uh, a good uh, interaction with the people who are involved with that, but not not deep or not very very close. Uh, it did feel a bit like mm, a weird direction to take. Uh, and then I think um, the direction was very it was a bit weird, and executing that well is really 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 hard. Yeah. Oh it's, yeah, you've set up you've set yourself up for a massive challenge uh, in so many ways. It's not it's not you're not saving anything. You're you're opening yourself up to new challenges that are very difficult to respond. Right, so. So it didn't work out. Um, I don't know. Most games by default don't work out. They don't pan out. Yeah, in the yeah, yeah. 
many titles that are not even completed. So so it's like you don't have to look very hard for why not. It's like you it's like it's worth looking in what, when it works out. Like why? What happened here? What things what stars aligned here such that it, this worked, right? Yeah. Nah, fair enough. Um, and obviously, you know, John, the, the first two Commandos have had an HD remaster, I believe. I think it's one and two now. Yeah, uh, yes. have, are you Were you involved in that at all? Or is it, or, or, oh, so I, think, I think the, the, the IP was acquired uh, because Pyro Studios ended up closing. I think the IP was acquired by Calypso, a German publisher. And I was like, oh, maybe they will do something cool. And I, I, I watched the videos. They, they look, the remaster looks cool there are a couple of things that called my attention as um, i'm not sure i would have done it that way like one of them was it's basically using the same it's the same missions on the same graphics right uh yeah. you probably need to bring more new stuff to the table for people to actually pay attention oh i know then it's not a remaster like there are so yeah. many things that start as a reskin I, like when i hear I feel like even today, because I do work with game studios and publishers, like we're gonna do a reskin of this, and I go like, I know how this story goes. It's like you start trying to do a reskin because you want to contain the budget and the effort and and, and extract some of the value, and it makes sense, yeah. or maybe recast things in a better way than than the previous, and you end up read, and then you start, and then you go like, oh, but I will improve this, and I will improve that, and we can add this thing and this idea, and then you suddenly you're making a new game. That that, yeah. that happens so often, right? So it's like. Oh, HD, re, um, HD remake is like cool, uh, but then it is an HD remake, which is like you do need to bring uh, even if you're doing the same game and you're gonna keep the same stuff. I don't know, I haven't played it, so maybe there's a lot of new stuff. But the videos I saw, it was like same training maps, and and they've improved the resolution of all the graphics, which is, yeah. which is welcome. But then, for example, I thought that I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry if they're listening to me because I'm. I'm and I'm not an expert in animation or graphics or anything, but I was like, you have to do re- redo the animations. You, it's like I'm sorry, but you re- have to because the resolution is higher, the models are cooler and more detailed. The same animations don't work anymore. They work because they were limited to a small amount of pixels, of course, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how it's worked in the market, and I think, I think there is a possibility of welcoming a Commandos title to the market. I, I really mm-hmm. think so, mm-hmm. because the. The, the love for the for the for, for the commandos game is there from from a lot of people who still play games the, there are a lot of strong things the strong concepts in different areas of the game that's still valuable it's like yep. you know, everything has been done now it's like no there are many there are many angles and games today take other directions uh, but you do need to adapt it uh, you do need to mm, mm, some things it's not just a matter of improving the resolution, but it's like how how is a player like a player in twenty twenty two? What what do they expect? What they have they seen? What because it's not the same people, it's not the same moment, yeah. and it's like so that that surprised me a bit. But well, maybe it's worth. Well, I don't know. It's like hopefully I think hopefully they will take this as a yeah. uh, it, it was a test drive, right? It's like okay, this is what we can do with six months of work. Maybe there's there's enough. Uh, interest in in putting in eighteen months of work or know, a larger team or something, and making something even for mobile. Mobile is a clear like there, there could Good be a mobile. And of course, you need to rethink their new game design challenges if you play a mobile. But that's cool. Like, who wants to do something which doesn't involve new challenges? Right, life is yeah, short. Yeah. Interesting, right? 
But, well, John, you you left Articomanos too, and you, you you hinted earlier you started started a new uh, publisher, a new a new a new team, yeah. a new. What what was that? What was it called? And and what and did you release the game? Did you release the game? And what what was that going to be? And what ideas were thrown around for your new team? Yeah, I think uh, the, it, it was called Arvirago, Arvirago uh, Studios. And, of course, we had just left Pyro Studios after a massive success. Uh, so it's like the Commandos team doing something else, right? At least to the uh, to the contacts you would talk to and whatnot, right? I, I, I remember, like, we started talking to Paulus. I remember speaking on the phone with Michael Morheim from from uh, from Blizzard. Right? It's like I was a nobody. I was, I was like, I was talking to an American. It was like I got to talk to the VPs of all the top publishers because they were like, oh, we're doing this and maybe you want to publish it. And they, they all responded positively, at least at, the, at first, right? Um, so one of the things is we had a massive success and there are two massive successes in a, in, a, in a row under our belts. So we had like... I learned afterwards that then you have all the interest of investors and publishers. Uh, and on the other hand, there's one thing that's called uh, in, in the world of uh, software development, the second system effect, right? You know, like the story is like, uh, you know, this team uh, who, who are working for a, an appliance manufacturing company, right? And the, the, the appliance manufacturing company, they go like, we're going we're to make our fridge for the first time. We've never made a fridge. Right. We, we're going to manufacture the cooling elements and the it's like and we need a, there's a little bit of electronics that they need, we need an operating system for the fridge right and they go to the software the internal software team the software team goes like oh we have to write an operating system we have never written an operating system and they go like oh we're going to be super careful we're going to plan out everything we're going to be like super uh, conscious of every single feature minimize the features because this is a super challenging project and so they write this operating system for the fridge and within budget and within scope and within within the um, by the deadline right and it's a massive success the operating system for the fridge that's whatever the operating system for the fridge has to do amazingly right and they are super proud and the fridge is a success in the market and then they go like uh, same team they go like and the, the 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 fact that the company go like oh now we're gonna we have to we have to we're gonna next after the success of the fridge we're gonna manufacture a, a, a washing machine right and they go like oh so we need an operating system for the washing machine and the team goes like oh we know this down pat we're, we're the best the most amazing people ever in doing operating systems so we're gonna write you're gonna we're gonna write the operating system from outer space. You know, it's going to be an operating <laughs> system that works for washing machines, uh, laundromats, fridges, ovens, microwaves, ovens, satellites, and everything. It's like, And it's going to have this amazing long list of features, and it's going to have all this potential, and it's going to be the best operating system ever. And, of course, they crash hard. They, they, developed, they developed something super ambitious because <laughs> you have the confidence from what you have just done, right? So you're not careful enough, and... And of course, maybe you do some amazing work, but you don't take every factor into account. I think mm-hmm. we had that other part. We were uh, excessively con- confident uh, after the game, Commandos games, and we set out to do a very ambitious uh, title. Again, completely new gameplay. You had nothing to. We had some trouble finding a publisher because every publisher was willing to sign a Commandos next game. It's like they would. They wouldn't right. mind. 
set up in another world, if we would set up in another environment, if they, as long as they saw the side cones there, they would be like, I signed this because this is going to sell, right? But we're like, no, this is a fantasy game where you have like uh, uh, real-time combat and exploration and the graphics are like super innovative. And the truth is like we did a lot of really super cool stuff technically that were ahead of, uh, ahead of its time. And we like uh, it raised many eyebrows when we showed it to publishers and we did sign with a publisher for some time with uh, take two uh, gathering of developers back then and we got VC investment and so we had all the factors in our on our side but we were not business savvy either we came right. we were good at what we were and we were overconfident and um, it became quite messy it took us a few years um and there were there was some cool prototype, very cool art, very cool uh, gameplay concepts, a lot of development. Uh, but it didn't pan out. The project was never finished. Like we, there was interest at some point from Atari. I think wow. Atari, was willing, Atari was willing to sign it if we turned it into a Magic Magic the Gathering uh, title. So it was like they have a license to Magic the Gathering. It's like so if you call this Magic the Gathering adventures or something and we put in the characters of magic gathering and we were arrogant enough that we didn't do that (laughs) we were Ah. were like we were just like no this is this creation is so amazing so unique that we'll never we will never uh, spoil it or we'll never taint it by tying it to something else and the business savvy way would be like we do uh, something an ip uh, with the with Atari's IP, we get funding to 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 pay uh, to survive, to to solidify, to grow, and we develop the other amazing creation on the side. That's business savvy, and we were not business savvy, so it, that was also a lot of work. It was painful, and it unfortunately it ended up in in a published title. There were some cool videos out there. I don't even know where where those are anymore. And uh, hopefully a lot of lessons learned for everyone involved. It definitely a lot of lessons learned for me. Do, what, what was the game called? Was, did it have a title in your mind at oh, all? Or? Yeah, yeah, The Lord of the Creatures. That was the title. Lord the of the of Creatures, it. right. You had a hero who would be invoke creatures using magic of different sides. So there was a lot of magic influence there. But the creatures were, were others and there were... There were many, like one of the things, there were many iterations of the game with very different gameplay designs. And of course, that's a time sink and a budget sink, right? So a lot of cool potential there, but it was like, um, yeah. Uh, be, I don't want to make you feel sad, but that must feel a bit gutting because obviously it sounds like a title with a lot of potential and yeah, yeah. and there was opportunities and I guess I guess if you could turn back the clock, maybe you would do the Atari thing. But I guess you know you can't go back in time, can you? Yeah, I think by then that was towards the end as well, and uh, I left uh, a bit earlier than uh, than the studio actually closed shop because the internal situation was not great, uh, and it took a long time to uh, to set things up so that they didn't depend on me. But uh, because some things depended on me, not everything, obviously, but. Uh, on things like the English, for example, uh, was uh, that was a, a big part there. But um, they continued trying to do it, and they, they they created some really cool stuff. I know 
that they did, like a multiplayer game. They recast it as a micropayments uh, right. uh, title, which back then was like the early, early start of that as a way to get it to the public. And but they, it didn't pan out again because the, the, the I think the business savvy business savvy is not just like one aspect. It's like it has to be in the the reflection. Yeah. On what to do, and and, and we didn't, we didn't have that. Um, no, my my reading on these things um, as as time goes on is like sometimes you get a massive success or some success or something that works, something you're proud of. Sometimes you have a lot of uh, revisiting to do to learn the right re- right lessons that you can take out of that, and the lessons are very very valuable, and you need to learn to see it that way. Otherwise, you're you're I appreciate John you're such an honest so honest and so nice to hear this and I really do appreciate the stories I mean it must obviously Commander's Commander's Sea was such well yeah, it was yeah. the biggest it was one of the biggest games in, in Europe in the world at one point it's crazy and then I'm not sure uh, I believe it yet I'm not sure I believe it yet it's like <laughs> is this real or is this a dream and then someone like you goes like right says like hey, shall we do an interview with Commander's like Cool. Let's let's. So it must yeah. not have completely a dream, or I'm dreaming about some interesting people as well, like I, Adrian, right? <laughs> Making up that. No, that's. I, I replayed it again recently, Commanders. It holds up. It's the, I did not the remaster. I played the proper original right. one on Steam, and it's so good still. It's a great game. Um, I mean, was that the end, John, for your career in video games? Are you still in the video game industry? Or? Uh, I I kind of took off after the the whole Lavriago thing because it was very conflicting in many ways and after that i i wanted like uh, with investors and publishers and other people and a lot of conflict in the end i wanted i was like i'm gonna do a project by myself i just don't want to talk to anybody anymore i need a rest here and i of course i'm a very technically oriented so i wrote a vi emulator which is a tool for programmers like super hardcore programmers i lived off of for a few it's called vimu I'm about to make it open source now, but I, I, I've lived off of that for, for a number of years. Oh, nice. So I was quite distant from the games industry, of course, still in touch with some people. And then I did other things in mobile. I did some research projects. Uh, and uh, But I, I was still in touch. And uh, several years ago, like six or seven years ago, I started collaborating with Digital Legends Entertainment in Barcelona. It was super cool. Some friends were, some old Commandos colleagues were, were uh, long-time Commandos colleagues were, were working there and good friends. So I started collaborating with them doing analytics uh, because it was closer to what I had been doing. So And they were doing free-to-play games. Uh, so I was starting to set up the analytics um, side of it. And after some, like, and the head of production was Raul Herrero, the, the, the guy who was lead consoles developer of, of Commandos 2. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we ended up seeing that there was a big gap in game analytics tools. There are, there are no good, there are no good tools, no good technology for game analytics out there. Sorry. There, the, there are good analytics tools, but there is space for it, even a lot better uh, analytics right. tools out there. Um, and uh, we saw that gap and we started working on it and set up on our own. We started a company called Catoid. We started in 2017 and uh, it's taken a ton of ton of work, ton of effort, but it's, we're now in production, started a few months ago and, and talking to the, and uh, we're talking to the biggest game publishers and studios. So I'm super lucky. I have a very good network of contacts in, in games, uh, both the, 
nationally and internationally. It was super cool, super brilliant people, smart people. Some people from those type, from those days, when you talk about commandos, they go like, oh, yeah, so it's like uh, still, still there. And uh, we are in touch with, like, I'm working with a lot of game studios. I'm not developing games, but but working with studios in helping them in however much data can help them improve their games, which is a super interesting technical problem. And we have some really cool stuff that's still not public, but we're putting it in in a few months, maybe we'll, we'll be able to... Uh, talk more about the details but like you have like because it's like games people who set out to 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 create analytics right it's not like usually it's data people who go to the games industry to help they have a lot of really good data uh, approaches tools and solutions but they don't understand what 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 the game studio is from from inside right so we have that advantage and we're again building the tool we would have wanted to have that doesn't exist uh, so respect that sounds and yeah it sounds like you're using all the experience you've got and gained and helping others you know good on you John and the not so successful experience <laughs> you, you've seen it all to be fair <laughs> yeah. no it's like you if you if you, like if you're gonna run a business or start a business or or do, I don't know running I'm sure running a podcast a retro gaming podcast has its challenges you need a you need a pretty rounded view of the things involved if you're gonna do it well and you don't get a rounded view if you only experience one extreme of things right? so <laughs> it's like, true yeah. through through heaven and then maybe through hell and then maybe you are back on earth and you can you can use that right so yeah yeah bless you no i agree yeah (laughs) um i've only got a few questions left john um a few quick fire questions from social media and but but before i get to those um what are your top three games of all time that's a really tough question i know but do you play a lot of video games and if so what are your top three I've played. I'm. I'm. I've, I'm. I'm. I haven't, I haven't been a massive gamer, but I, yes, of course, I've played quite a quite a number. Massive top three games. Uh, I think I should start with Head Over Heels on the Spectrum. That was that was massive Classic. for me. Uh, I know one one of them, but I want to leave that for last because it's a weird choice. But I want to make that that selection. Uh, very hard to. To choose a certain one, let, let let me say a few titles that come to mind, like Lemmings and and Monkey yep. Island, uh, for example. Those are those are two that very hard to choose between those two. But for the third one, I have to say, say one that probably no one who's listening or very few people who listen to this know. But to me, it's very meaningful. It's called Mertz. It's a mobile game. Mertz, oh. it's a, it 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 stands for Mildly interesting uh, RTS, uh, real-time strategy, right? Wow! That minimalist game by a friend of mine. I'm actually I met him afterwards. I'm a Rajan, an indie developer from the US. He's based in in in, in Dallas. He was the developer of a mobile game that was pretty successful on iPhone called uh, A Dark Room, which was a text mode game for iPhone. Uh, top sell, I mean, top game, but it was, was like 2014 or 15, so not a lot of people remember. But mildly interesting art, uh, I, I do recommend everyone play Merit. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 
I love RTS. I, I said like Monkey Island, uh, Lemmings, StarCraft, StarCraft. I played StarCraft. A, played a lot of StarCraft. That was that was like, and also played our other RTSs, but StarCraft was was amazing. Stam is still alive, right? Uh, so Merch is an RTS distilled to the essence, and I love I love the minimalist approach. It's like take everything out, leave what's the minimum minimum necessary elements for an RTS to actually be an RTS, that's merits. There are only circles and lines, and, and, and it, I've played that a lot. And I, I've played RTSs a lot, but I never, I was never very good at playing. I was, I, I was <laughs> after a lot of work, I could kind of half survive, but I was never very good. And I didn't fully understand what's like, uh, what, what is, how does it work? How does design work? Why does it work? Why is like, of course, I understand how you play, but it's like, what's behind this, uh, the, an RTS? And this game uh, let me, allowed me to learn what's an, the essence of an RTS. And I became really good at Mertz and I beat the the, the creator of the game, uh, Amir Rajan, oh, nice. playing multiplayer like repeatedly, I was like, dude, I can beat you all the time. Right? He does very minimalist game. He's a very indie type game. Uh, he he loves the minimalist type. He's he's gonna come. Actually, I'm gonna see him in a couple of weeks because he's coming nice. visit. So, and I that game was very meaningful because it learned it let me learn about RTSs and let me learn about why I wasn't playing well. I was like. I had to turn my perspective to have a more of a big picture perspective of the whole game at the same time. I, I tend to look into details and with that game allowed me to gain a more wider perspective on things, right? Not, not just there. So it's like, I think it's a meaning, it was a meaningful game to me, right? And it's a worth yeah, yeah. for anyone who likes RTSs. I think Amirajan Hood should, like, he still improves it, but he should turn this into a massive big hit, which has the potential to be. But uh, we are going to. Listeners, viewers get involved, yeah. Sorry? Yeah, I'm just telling our listeners and viewers to try it out, definitely. Give it, give yeah. it a download. Yes. Um, right, Joe, I've got a couple of real quick fire questions uh, from a few people on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I've got a question here from Johannes Roth, and he says. Did he, did, did John, did you play the revival of the genre, Shadow Tactics, Blades of the Shogun? And uh, what, what do you think about it? Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't play any of, uh, of those titles. And uh, maybe who was the lead designer, creator of the game, did and has some ideas, but I, 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 didn't, I didn't follow the genre very much. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I've got a question here from Cornelio Vlad Naku, and he says, does does John think that games like Commandos uh, would be successful like mass market today? Do you think that's kind of moved on, or do you think potentially could still be a big genre? Yeah, I mean, I think the essence of the gameplay, the essence of what makes it fun, what makes it uh, something that is immersive in some way, you can still take that essence and recast it. Maybe you, yeah, you yeah. have to recast it. You have to be aware of of, of how people see things these days. And there is the potential. Maybe not so much as is, right? Maybe like people like, I see a lot of the time that uh, not in, not on PC, but maybe in other areas like like uh, casual games and whatnot, people like easy games. People yeah. don't like hard games as much, right? So maybe hard game was doable in that, in that time and today would have been more lenient, more, more, more forgiving. But you can still keep the essence. You can still keep the puzzles. You can still keep keep the the universe. That yeah, I agree. And actually, that few Twitter questions here. Robin, who's a big fan of the show, he says he only played 
these on PS2, but can you ask, John, why it's so bastard hard? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, Commandos is difficult. Was was that something you just you said earlier, older games were harder, but was that part of your feeling from day one? Make it challenging. Uh, what was the name of the person who asked this? Ro- Robin. Robin, I'm sorry to tell you that if you only played on PlayStation 2, you only played Commandos 2, because the first one was never ported to PlayStation 2. And I'm sorry to tell you that Commandos 2 was a piece of cake compared to Commandos 1. <laughs> <laughs> Get practicing, Robin. Yeah, I actually I agree. I think I played both on the PC, and the one is difficult. Blimey! Yeah. Um, the vision of the creator of the game who designed it that way and proved to be very hooking to everyone who played it yeah yeah frustrating but kept kept playing didn't you to get past the levels that's what i found anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah. the right um, type of frustration is is very addictive yeah exactly the right, the right type of frustration not any type yes i uh in my tweet tw- you tweet you saw it john i said that you before you also now do singing and some stand-up comedy and um yeah. The top load, another another big fan of the show, says, I don't have any questions, but maybe you can sing a few bars and end on a joke. But there's no yeah. pressure to sing, but that was quite funny. It's yeah. <laughs> a good ending, like if we're not going to back to more serious topics. Uh, yeah, I've done a lot of stand-up comedy. I'm not doing much these days because work is taking all the time, but a little bit here and there. I did a lot of uh, stand-up in English in Barcelona because there's a big stand-up comedy wow. in English. Uh, scene in Barcelona. Anyone who was visit, go check out the shows. They're they're awesome. Uh, yeah, I did a lot of jokes. I was I was really unfunny at the beginning, but I learned. So <laughs> uh, a couple of jokes. Like it's like it's the summer now. You know, like it's summer, and not not everyone is fit. Not 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 all of us are fit. You know, and you have to go put your stuff in a in a swimsuit. So so if you want to get fit, you know, it's like you can do as I do. For example, I go running. You know, it's like. A, I mean, I hate running. <laughs> yeah, but I want to get late. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And damn, do girls run fast these days? That's a good joke. I mean, you, good running joke. is doesn't work for you. It's like you can also go swimming, right? It's like something yeah. I, I also do. It's like, and I, if you want, if you go swimming, like there are decisions to make. It's like. A young man who decides to go swimming has one big decision to make, which is what swimming pool do I sign up for, right? Uh, but a man my age, an older man my age, has three big decisions to make when he decides to go, go to a swimming pool. The first one is, uh, what swimming pool do I sign up for? You don't get rid of that one, right? You still have that one. But the, the, there's one second big decision you have to make. is like, when I go to said swimming pool, do I want to be my true self? Or do I shave my back? <laughs> <laughs> and the third big, that's a big decision. And the third big decision you have to make is where does the back actually end? <laughs> so that, that I, is, I, yeah. I don't podcast format, but in li- like in a live show, those those work well. So Very good, uh, John. Really appreciate that. And obviously, you know, uh, I'll put a link to your website. I don't know if that talks about all your all the stuff you do. Mainly, maybe is it more programming? But I'll put a, show, a link on the show notes. And you're on Twitter as well, so I'll put your handle in there so people can follow awesome. you. But yeah, no, it's, I've really enjoyed this this interview. It's, it's been so fascinating, and you've been quite honest and quite a funny guy, you know. And, um, I really appreciate your time. And I love hearing these backstories about um, about shaving your back. But now you're about learning about commandos and stuff. Absolutely incredible. Thank you. Thanks so much, Adrian. That was a big pleasure, a big honor, and really enjoyed it.
Thank you. I, I, I ask all my guests, John, one final question. Just enough. I think, you t- to be fair, I think you've answered this already in the text interview, but you can do a different answer. Uh, if you could go for a drink of any video game character, uh, yeah, yeah. who would you choose yeah. and why? I, I, for the love of anything that's real, I can't remember what I responded in writing, <laughs> but I know I, I, I have the, like, it's like, of course, I would go for a drink with Lara Croft. That's something yeah. yeah. I would doubt about this. Like, it's like, <laughs> I, I love the philosophy. I love the philosophy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, John, you're a complete legend, and thank you so much for your time. It's been so fun. I really mean that, so thank you. Thank you, Adrian, and anytime. My thank pleasure. You. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. You can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots more retro gaming goodness and to delve into our archives. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating, we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support Arcade Attack, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash arcadeattack, which will give you access to exclusive podcasts, interviews and other bonus content. So... Until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.